The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we are back to the very hot topic of apartment investing. Boy, been doing this for a long time and I don't think I have ever seen apartment investing as hot as it is right now or as accessible as it is right now. There's um, a whole generation of folks in their 20s and 30s now acquiring large apartment buildings that will, if they hold on to them, um, probably support them for the whole rest of their lives. It's a thing that people used to think you did after you had gone through the whole, I'm going to own single family homes, I'm going to flip houses, and then maybe someday when I'm close to retirement, I'll be able to do what I really always wanted to do and buy a great big apartment building that will throw off enough income to support me forever. And now there is definitely a feeling out there that if you know what you're doing, you can just go straight to apartment buildings and and actually do that where wherever you are in terms of your real estate career or age. The thing is, it's not as easy as watching some stuff on YouTube and going, ooh, that guy's just like me. I can go buy a 100-unit apartment building with other people's money. And um, that is actually what I want to talk to our guest today about is realistically, how much do you need to know? Before you go out and start making offers on apartment buildings, my guest is Anthony Chara, a frequent guest here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. He is the founder of Success Classes, and he's been investing in apartments since '04. He has owned or syndicated over 1,600 units, and I mean all over the place, uh, Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas. Louisiana, Mississippi, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, and the one that was probably really fun to write off, Belize. That must, that must have been that must have been a good time to tell the IRS. I sorry, had to go to Belize for my uh, you know apartment investments. He's joining us by phone from a hotel room in Dayton, Ohio, where he is speaking tonight to the Greater Dayton Real Estate Investors Association. Anthony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. What's up, Bina? <laughs> oh boy, that's a callback. <laughs> Man, I just I just talked about all these guys in their twenties and thirties, and that was probably a popular commercial when you were in your twenties and 
thirties. Probably, yeah, probably <laughs> that. And where's the beef? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> um, so what I what I had asked you to talk about today, Anthony, was like the six things that you really need to know before you. And let's be honest, go out and make a fool of yourself, offering on apartment buildings that you don't understand. And the reason that that came to my mind as a topic we needed to deal with is that, um, as you know, I'm in the wholesaling business, partly. And I get emails at least once or twice a month from people who have put an apartment building under contract that they had zero idea what they were doing. And now they're trying to sell it to somebody who does know what they're doing. And I have to call them and say... (laughs) Um, you gave me no income or expense numbers. You gave me no idea of how occupied or unoccupied this property is. And you gave me comps. You said, you said other hundred unit buildings in the area have sold for this much. And I'm, I'm just telling you right now, Mr. Wholesaler, you don't know enough to be putting properties under contract and then reaching out to folks who actually know what they're doing. Because like I, you, you don't even know you don't even know if you've got it under contract for the right price. Much less do I know it, having not even seen it. So I kind of want to I kind of want to correct things both for those folks who think it's done just like single family homes, and also for the many many folks who seem to think that they can learn everything that they need to know about hundred unit apartment buildings by watching thirty minute YouTube videos. I'm sure you've met those too. <laughs> well, I mean, there's yeah, one of the one of the benefits of of the accessibility of you know things like money that that didn't seem to be there 20 years ago is that people who don't already have millions of dollars can go do this. But one of the yeah. downsides is. It, it it feels like if my if my you know frat brother from college who's now thirty one years old just bought a hundred unit building how hard could it be, and we're trying to we're trying to kind of walk the line here between yeah it probably is accessible to you and but please don't go mess up a seller's life or you know a broker's life or whatever by doing it before you have some basic knowledge in place. And it's really the basic knowledge that we're, we're trying yeah. to get people to take notes on here. Like if you don't know these things, don't, right? Exactly. You know, it's kind of funny because I was, you were talking about people going out and making certain assumptions, basically, like you can wholesale an apartment building the same way you can as a single family home, which is not accurate. Uh, but I was actually, you invited me to OREA quite a few years ago. And one of the things that happened um, after I did my presentation is, of course, I was trying to get people to come to my boot camp and get my home study course. And I walked to the back of the room, and there's a guy trying to talk his buddy out of getting the program. He's like, oh, you don't need to do any of this. Uh, you don't need to pay for this. It's all over the Internet. You just have to go out on the Internet. You can find all this information. And, you know, I didn't say anything, <laughs> but didn't say anything. But I, it was making me think about your comment about the YouTube videos. And the fact is, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And there might be a lot of stuff out of the Internet. But unless you know what questions to even ask, how do you know you're getting the right answers? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's all about frame of reference. And I, tell, I, I try to tell people that about everything they're trying to learn off of YouTube, including, you know, how to do oil paintings. You know, it's... 
<laughs> it's 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 all about do you know enough to know whether what you're being told applies to the deal you're looking at, applies to where you are looking at it, because things are different in different markets, and often in subtle ways that are super important. Um, and do, like you said, do you know what was left out? And the answer is, if you don't have the frame of reference to say, wait, 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 he didn't talk about DFCR and what is the bank going to think of these rent rolls? If you don't, if you don't know to think that thought, then you don't know if this video you're watching is, is really enough for you to go out and write an offer that you're signing that says you're going to pay $12 million for so many dollars you don't have for a property <laughs> that that you don't you don't really know if that's a good deal or not. So we're 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 actually before we before we dig into the first of these six things that you know we're just go, we're just going to ask you folks to to just like take notes like here here are the six things and when I can check all of these off and say confidently yes I can do these then I then I can I'm I'm ready I can actually go play in the apartment game. Um, but before that, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break and invite listener questions because those are always, you know, y'all can always come up with better questions than I can. Uh, you can call in your questions at 877-772-9658. Let me say that again. It's 877-772-9658 or you can send them to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My host, my, my host today, Anthony, you just take it over, man. You're going to be the host today. The, my guest today is Anthony Chara. And um, Anthony's actually kind of all over the state of Ohio for the next few weeks. Now that, now that he can actually leave Colorado and go see people, he's come to Ohio. And he's going to be at Greater Dayton Rhea tonight. And then tomorrow night, he's here in Cincinnati at our live and simulcast meeting. Um, you know what? We want to, he came all the way from Colorado. We want to see a lot of people there. So I am, I am making the command decision right now that both members and guests can come to that meeting for free. And you, you can come live, which would be preferable because then you can meet other apartment investors and people interested in investing in apartments. So people with money who don't have deals and people with deals who don't have money and just like hang out with a really great, great group of people, uh, go to CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com to register that. The early meeting, by the way, show up as early as you can because five o'clock is networking time. Six o'clock is uh Lee Yoder, who is going to do uh, the anatomy of a deal he did that was 45 units in Dayton, just kind of walk you through how that worked. That's a guy who was a physical therapist a few years ago, decided he didn't want to be a physical therapist anymore. He wanted to be an apartment investor, and now he is. And then at 730, we've got Anthony. So again, CincinnatiRia.com. You can attend online, but you also have to go there to get your link as well. And then next uh, Tuesday, he will be in Columbus at Central Ohio RIA and then doing a couple of Saturday workshops uh, later on in the mm -hmm. month. So, yeah, it'll be a it'll be a uh, very educational time for folks who are looking to make apartment investors between the local folks who are going to share their experiences and Anthony, who's going to share his 2004 start and 1600 units since then. Okay, so Anthony, big big topic for today. I know tomorrow it's like building wealth in apartments and multifamilies, but today it is the six things 
you got to know before you go out and start trying to make investment decisions in the in apartments what is number 1 well, there's only 6 no <laughs> the 377 the six things the six big areas where you have to have have some education and knowledge yeah the six main topics not including the other plethora of other little things underneath each of those six main topics that you need to learn but we can get into those later so so the the first one is you need to know a little bit about the market and where you're investing and that starts it you need to see what's going on and, and find out what's going on in your particular market it, or the market that you want to invest in it doesn't even have to be where you live it can be a, halfway across the country Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I do is I like to invest in places that I like to travel to because, as you mentioned earlier, about going down to Belize. Well, guess what? It's a business trip. i got to go down and check out my property every so often. And as long as I follow IRS guidelines, I can write off most or all of the trip. Mm-hmm. So it starts with that. And then you also have to know the numbers. You have to understand how apartments are valued differently than single-family homes. And certainly one of the ways that you can figure out the value of an apartment is similar to a single family home where you do comparables. But there aren't a lot of apartment buildings that are sitting side by side in the same neighborhood that are all identical where you can get a good accurate comparable. Mm -hmm. So the most common way to figure out the value of the property is to look at what's called the cost or the comparison, sorry, the income approach to valuation. So the income approach to valuation, you look at the income that the property generates and compare that to something called the cap rate. Uh, The cap rate is the return you get on your investment if you bought the property all cash. So think of it, your your apartment building is your own bank. So if you went to your bank and said, hey, I've got $100,000 here that I want to put in the bank, what kind of return can I get? And the bank says (laughs) (laughs) 0.2%. Well, 0.2% isn't even keeping up with inflation, which means you're actually losing money, but ultimately you're getting a 0.2% return. Well, apartment investors go around the country and they want to get certain rates of return in certain markets. And some markets are lower returns because they feel like those markets are a little bit safer bet and safer investment. And other markets have higher rates of return because they view those as a little riskier. So you might hear somebody talk about something called a cap rate, where they might tell you, oh, in this particular area, you can get a six cap, which means if you had $100,000 to invest in a particular property and you could buy it for all cash, which is pretty low for an apartment building, to buy an apartment building for $100,000, but theoretically, let's say it was a million dollars. You had a million dollars in cash. You could buy a million-dollar apartment building for cash, no loan, and you were going to get a 6% return. So after all of your expenses were paid at the end of the year, you'd have 6% left over that million dollars, which of course is 60,000. You'd have a 6% rate of return. So that's your cap rate. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the key factors that's used to figure out whether or not your property is valued correctly. Uh, There's of course other things that go into that too, as you mentioned earlier about some wholesalers and people trying to wholesale deals. You can't just look at a per-door basis because there's so many other factors that go into the numbers. You you mentioned earlier about the DSCR. Well, DSCR is the debt service income ratio or the debt service ratio. And it's a key factor that banks use 
because banks don't want to take properties back away from you and foreclose on you. They are in the business of making loans. That's how they make their money. And so the debt service income ratio is a way to figure out that after all of your expenses, all of your standard expenses are being paid and things like your property taxes, your insurance, your management costs. And yes, I know there are some of your listeners out there that are like, oh, I'm going to manage the property myself. Well, that's great, but you still need to put in the management cost as if you're not going to do it yourself, because if you don't, you're going to end up overpaying for the property. Mm -hmm. So you want to add in the management costs. You want to add in things like maintenance, repairs, utilities. You're going to have utilities, whether it's common areas or when some of the units go vacant and those utilities have to be transferred over to you because you want to keep the heat on in the wintertime, the air conditioning on in the summertime. So you're going to have utility costs. And then, of course, you have a reserve account set aside. And this is a place where I see the folks who are used to single-family homes or have been trained in single-family homes sort of fall apart if they don't have something like a spreadsheet that, that tells them what numbers are supposed to be entered. They forget that there are no, there are expenses in apartment buildings and income in apartment buildings that don't exist in single-family homes. For instance, I have never put a coin-operated washer and dryer in a single-family home in my life. I have never charged extra for being able to park in the garage at a single-family home, but I have often had apartment buildings that had six units but only four garage spaces. So the garage spaces cost a little bit more if you wanted one of those, and they were an extra source of income. I've never seen a single-family home that had yard maintenance as one of the expenses, but who's going to take care of the yard in your 100-unit building if not a lawn company? Who's going to shovel the snow? In, in the single-family homes, the, you know, the tenant does it, but you're not going to be like, ah, oh, the tenants will do it in a 100-unit <laughs> building. So there, there are all these things that, that folks who are used to doing analyses on single-family rentals just completely leave out in their brains when they're the trying to... The Go ahead. The only thing the tenant's going to pick up is the phone to call you to find out when you're coming out to shovel the snow. <laughs> yes. I was surprised in the in the 13-unit uh, building I bought that we had to have somebody go in once a week and just kind of clean up the hallways. Never yeah, thought, never thought about it. Leave their stuff, yeah, they leave their stuff in the hallways. They don't clean up their trash. It's like, well, it's not my property. Yeah. So, so it turns out that there there are a bunch of those little, and they, they don't, they don't always turn out to be a whole bunch per year, right? It could be, you know, $500 a year. But because what of what you said first, which is the way you value them, is you say, what are all the income? What are, what are all the expenses? What is the net operating income? And then I apply a cap rate to it, and that tells me what the building is worth. If you left out 500 bucks, you literally just overbid by $5,000 if it's a 10 cap, right? At least. So it, it's these little, it's these little things that it's not, it's not that they're harder to learn than say, I don't know, retailing properties or wholesaling properties or owning single family rentals. It's just that they're different. And this also kind of gives me a callback to what we talked about with the um, available online education. And that is, if you're looking at something, if you're looking at a YouTube video that is more than five years old, keep going because things like cap rates have changed a lot in the last five years. 
the the expectation of of what how much return am I going to get for a, an A building in an A class area or a D building in a D class area have changed a lot in the last five years, and that's always true. It's always true that if you look at any five year period, you can say, well, they've gone up or they've gone down. So, yep. like having current information is actually super duper important. So I think what I just heard you say is if you cannot define and find out and, and like figure out for yourself what the cap rate is on the building, what the NOI is on the building, and what the DSCR is on the building, you are not ready yet. You ha- you have to know what those things are and how to find them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know the other thing you brought up too about some people trying to make that transition, I brought up a little bit about it earlier with the, the management because some of the people listening are going to want to manage their own properties, which is fine, but you still have to add in that management fee. The other big thing that I see a lot of people make mistakes on is the maintenance. They look at their single family homes and they think, oh, I'm making three or $400 a month in cash flow on my single family homes. Why would I want to go into apartments? It's like, well, but you're not really making three to $400 a month in cash flow because usually people aren't comparing apples to apples and they're not setting money aside for the things that they will need to replace or repair at some point, like the water heaters and painting the interior, the exterior, putting in new flooring, uh, hot water heaters, air conditioning units. They, these things are all going to fail and people think, oh, I'm making three to $400. No, you're not, because at some point you have to come out of pocket and fix those things. And that's one of the things I love about apartments is the fact that it forces you, the way I teach people how to do it and the way you teach people how to do it, Vina, is it forces you to set a certain amount aside for all of the expenses that you are going to have to pay at some point during the lifespan of that property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, very true. Actually, actually, taking your one-day class taught me how to look at that for my single families. Because no one had ever said that to me about saying, and I, you know, of course, I've been single families for decades, and nobody ever said, "Yeah, you just put the roof on, and it's going one twenty fifth of it is going bad every year." Yep. So you should really be setting aside one twenty fifth of the cost of a new roof every. Your 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 property needs to pay for that, so it should be going into a bank account. And it made perfect sense with apartments because I was like, oh, because that's when I go to sell the building. Even if I decided to manage it myself, the next guy is not going to decide to manage it, and he's going to do the math the same way. So that's how he's going to look at it. So that's how I have to look at it when I buy it, whether that's my you know, inclination to do it that way or not. My inclination doesn't matter. There's a way that it is done. Uh, we need to take another quick break. I want to invite listeners to give us a call at 877-772-9658 or to send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Anthony Chara. We're talking about the six things you need to know before you are ready to dive into the apartment market. No matter how hot it is, no matter how much your friends are all into it, you got to know these things. Um, Anthony, we've gotten a couple of questions from listeners that I'd like to clean up before we get to numbers three, four, five, and six today. The first one is Marcy says, you mentioned that you want to research a market where you might be investing. Can you give me some examples of the sorts of things you're researching before you decide to buy an apartment building in a given market? Yes, absolutely. And 
just a, a quick heads up, uh, tonight in Dayton and tomorrow in Cincinnati and Tuesday in Columbus, I'll be going into some of these things with a lot greater detail. But you want to look at things like job growth, because the job growth is what actually drives the economy in a particular market. Job growth then drives the population growth. When you have more people moving into a market than moving out of a market, they need more places to live. And that's usually what drives up prices, drives up rental rates. As vacancy goes down, rental rates go up. I also look at things like the school district ratings. So I can go to greatschools.org and I can look at the school districts to see what kind of scores they have because I want to be in a good school district. I want to look at the crime levels that are in an area. Every area is going to have crime, but I want to make sure that the crime in the area where I'm looking to buy, that there's not a lot of violent crime or drug activity or gang activity, things like that. Uh, the other thing I want to look at is, is poverty level. I want to make sure that there's a fairly low poverty level, generally around 15% or less. And again, I'll, I'll share some of these sources and things like that um, tonight, tomorrow night, and Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. And then Teal says, why does higher cap rate mean it's more risky? That seems backwards to me. If the higher cap rate means a higher return on your investment, wouldn't that mean it's less risky? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I get that question a lot. Um, that's what you would think because you're actually getting a uh, supposedly getting a higher rate of return, but you're only getting a higher rate of return if you or your manager stay on top of your residence. Because unfortunately, as you get to some of these properties that have higher cap rates, you generally have lower, what I would call lower quality residents. That doesn't mean they're lower quality people. It just means that usually they make less income and because they make less income, they're struggling more every single month to survive, quite frankly. I, I don't, I'm trying to remember, there's something like 70 or 80% of the population in the United States is one paycheck away from being broke, and that's just scary. And so on some of these properties that have the higher cap rate, the reason they have a higher cap rate is because they're usually lower-income areas with lower-quality buildings, lower-quality neighborhoods. And if you think about it, if you're only charging $500 a month for rent, in our property, somebody has to make – $1,500 a month in order to cover that 500 Well, 1500 isn't a whole lot of money. So I would rather buy in an area where the rent is higher, maybe $1,000 a month, because now they have to make $3,000 a month. Well, that gives them an extra $2,000 to, to live on to buy their food, their clothing, their car payments. Deal with the whatever. broken transmission, deal with the... Yeah. You know, having to be out of work for two weeks because they have the flu, deal with. Yeah. So it's it. I, I, the way I like to put it, Teal, is that the more economically unstable your tenants are, uh, the, the people who are not just like one paycheck away from bankruptcy, they are one broken car that can't get them to work away from losing their job and also not being able to pay their rent, the higher return you are looking for on that property because there's there's just straight up more drama to owning it there's just more more hands-onness probably not by you probably by your property manager but um you know you're 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 looking for a higher return to compensate you for the higher risk it's not that the re- <laughs> it's not that it's not that the return 
It's not that the higher return means it's less risky. It means that the higher return is compensating you for the higher risk. It's the same reason that hard money lenders charge 15% and banks charge 3 There you go. Hard money loans are higher risk. That's why. Uh, okay, so we've got number one, know your mar- know the market, know some stuff about the market you're investing in. Number two, know the numbers, know what numbers uh, are important in apartments and how to calculate them. What is the number three thing people need to know? Well, the biggest thing that they need to know for, for the next one is that this is a relationship business. And they need to start creating relationships with people in their target market or markets that know about the types of property and have their finger on the pulse of the type of property that they're looking to purchase. They need to reach out to real estate agents that sell that type of property, property managers that manage the property, lenders that lend on that type of property, and even commercial appraisers that appraise that type of property. By creating those relationships, they actually get a better chance of finding a deal that will actually work better for them. As a matter of fact, um, I do a, a monthly luncheon every month because um, that way I'm not competing with the RIAs where I get a bunch of apartment investors coast to coast together. And a, a couple months ago, I had on one of my commercial brokers and he made a side comment about off-market deals. And that kind of triggered my brain and said, hey, his name was uh, uh, Adam. I said, hey, Adam, um, how many you've been a comment about off-market deals? How many deals are off-market these days? And he said, over 50%. Which means for Yikes. a lot of people that don't have those relationships, they're missing out on a ton of deals that they never hear about because they never make it to any website anywhere in the country. Hmm. Hmm. So even if you have very little experience, you can still start reaching out to brokers. Don't let that hold you back. But first off, I would recommend, number one, you do get educated. So you can at least talk the talk. And by talking the talk, I've had people go through my boot camp. And then it, after the boot camp, there's an eight-week follow-up, and part of it is they they go out and they talk to people, and they'll come back on the follow-up calls that we have, and a couple of them will say, "Oh my God, I was scared to death to call people because I really don't have a lot of experience," and I started talking to these people, and after five minutes, they said, "Wow, you sound really knowledgeable. How long have you been investing in apartments?" And because of what you say and how you say it, people can tell whether or not you are educated to the point that you can be in the same room with them and they will help you. Even if you have limited experience, they will help you. And even if you tell them you have limited experience, as long as you know what you're talking about and explain things clearly and tell, show them how you understand the numbers and the cap rates in the area and things like that, they'll still work with you. Now there are some that won't. There are some that you'll talk to and like, Nope, I've worked with beginners before. I'm never doing it again then all you have to do is ask them for a referral. Well, refer me to someone who will work with somebody like me who has limited experience. Mm-hmm. Don't let that hold you back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So relationships, and you specifically called out agents, lenders, appraisers, and managers who work with the kind of property that you're looking for in the market where you are working. Doesn't doesn't okay. do you a lot of good to have a great manager in Seattle if you're buying stuff in Columbus. Um, okay, so don't go with, with lenders too, very quickly, right? You don't want to have a, a mortgage broker in Columbus if you're looking for properties in Dallas. Mm-hmm. They, they might be able to give you a loan, but they may not understand what's going on in that particular market like they do in Columbus because they live in Columbus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, number four. We've got 
We've got the market, the numbers, the relationships. What else? Um, well, so you need to you, you need to put in offers, and you need to put in offers that will get the seller's attention. Um, a lot of times, what will happen is you'll get people, and I, and I do this in my Saturday workshop. You, I'll show an example property, and I'll ask people, "Well, what would you offer for it?" And a lot of people will start saying it, it comes out to be worth like 1.55 to 1.65 million. And I'll say, well, what would you offer for it? If this is a real deal, what offer would you make? And I get people that start throwing out numbers of 1.4, 1.3, 1.1, 900,000. It's like, you're not even in the same ball game. I just told you a fair market value for this property is 1.55 to 1.65. You're not even on the same planet if you're going to make an offer at 1.4. You need to start with a, a fair market value offer for the property. And so that's number one. Um, number two, a lot of people, because of that same thing, they'll say, well, uh, what if the numbers aren't real? What, what if the seller's deceiving me? What if they're lying to me? You, you're not going to find that out until you get under contract because most sellers won't give you enough good data until you're under contract. And as long as you write your contract correctly and they do give you erroneous information or mislead you, you can cancel the contract and get your earnest money back. So it's not a big deal. Just take the next step. The other thing I would recommend do to have your offers taken seriously is go out to some mortgage brokers and find out what you qualify for in the commercial world. And if you don't qualify, it doesn't mean you can't do this. As a matter of fact, out of uh, I need to get you an updated bio because I've, I've owned over 2,000 units now all around the world. And... Um, Every single one of the multifamily deals that I've done, I've done with partners. I've done with credit partners, money, money partners, and experience partners. So even if you have little experience, it doesn't mean that you can't make offers and get deals done. You just have to partner with the right people. And you meet those partners at your local RIA meetings, at the boot camps you go to, the workshops you go to. There's all kinds of people out there who can help you put in the offers correctly so that the sellers will take you and the brokers will take you seriously. It doesn't matter if you have limited experience or limited dollars in your bank account. You can borrow all those things from other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the offer-making process itself is a skill you have to have that is, again, going to be different than it is in single-family homes. It's it's not common in single-family homes that you come in with your best offer and then and then do a ton of due diligence because you're I mean you're talking about not just looking at at least some of the units and of course all of the mechanical stuff you're also talking about looking at the leases you're talking about looking at the service contracts you know a lot of these 100 unit buildings have a, have elevators and the elevator has a service contract and you need to see the service contract and see how long it goes i mean it's just there's there's a lot of detail going back to those numbers that you're not going to have at the time that you put in the offer and understanding that that's just how this is done is a big, I don't know, mental switch <laughs> for people who are used to the single family homes and really a lot of different um, property classes do have different ways in which the sellers expect to see offers. So this understanding how the how the first agents and then sellers expect to see these offers, the forms they kind of forms they expect to see them on, see them on, and the backup data that you have to give them because you mentioned a pre-approval. 
are all things that you kind of should have a picture of what that looks like in your head and maybe even have some contracts to look at so that you don't send them a one-page residential purchase contract that doesn't cover all this stuff. Yep. All right. Uh, one more quick break and then we're going to go to some, uh, listener questions and hopefully we will get to number five and six here, Anthony, today. Uh, if you have questions, send them to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Anthony Chara, who is also giving live presentations at a bunch of the OREA groups around the state this week and next week. Greater Dayton Rhea tonight, tomorrow night, Cincinnati Rhea. Um, you can come to that one live or get it online at CincinnatiRhea.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A dot com or if you can't make either one of those, next Tuesday in Columbus, com to get your seat and or link if you're going to watch the simulcast. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go to the phones and talk to Cyranaj, who's calling on line two from Columbus. Cyranaj, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi. Um, Hi. Thank you. Um, well, I, I just wanted to ask a question about the deal itself when he was talking about the numbers when um, looking at fixing stuff in apartment building. Do we look at also reserve that the seller, sh- I'm sorry, the yes, the seller should have, or do we ignore that and just put it as part of the deal we're offering to the person themselves? Ah, so looking- I, think, I think what you're talking about is, so the building isn't producing the kind of rent it should because it actually needs stuff. Like it needs, right. it, like all the kitchens really need to kind of be redone to bring them up to the standards of the area. Do we count that in as reserves, Anthony, or do we say, okay, this property would be worth $10 million if it had new kitchens, but it doesn't, so let's subtract the cost of the new kitchens before we make the offer? Correct. Yes. So there's two different ways you're going to look at the property. One is how is the property performing today in its current condition? And then the second way is if you were to come in and do X amount of dollars worth of work, could you raise the rent and how much can you raise the rent? And then based on that, it's, it's similar to somebody who does a fix and flip, right? They look at what's the after repair value of the property. So after we put in the new kitchens and how much is that going to cost us, how much are we going to raise the rent? And based on how much we can raise the rent, what's the property going to be worth when we're done with it? And so what you have to look at is does it make financial sense to buy the property and do all that work or not? And if it does, of course, you buy the property. So if it's going to cost you $10,000 to upgrade a kitchen and you're going to be able to raise the rent $200 a month, well, anytime you can do something to increase the value of the property that where you get that return in under five years, I would say go ahead and do it. So in other words, if, okay. uh, if it was going to cost you $10,000 for a new kitchen and you divide that by 60 months, that comes out to $166 a month, which means that if you cannot raise the rent at least $166 a month, you don't need to put in new kitchens because that area probably, the people there probably can't afford to have a new kitchen or care that there's a new kitchen. Mm -hmm. So you either have to find a less expensive way to put in an upgraded kitchen so that the returns make sense or skip it. And that either means don't do the work or, buy a different property. 
Mm-hmm. Well, let me okay. let me ask you let me ask you the question a different way, Anthony. Let's say that um, I don't know ten thousand for an apartment kitchen sounds like a lot, but let's say that's the <laughs> let's say that's the correct number. Maybe you're putting in really nice kitchens. Um, if I can get the building for a million dollars less than than that fixed up value based on the higher rents then it makes sense to put in the kitchens, right? Yes. So, yeah, what I what I kind of got off track on was when I talked about a wholesaler, right? A wholesaler is looking at after repair value. So after you do all the repairs, what's the property worth? Now you back out your numbers the other way, right? How much is it going to cost you to do the repairs and the upgrades? How much is it going to cost you for holding costs? How much is you going to put in for reserves and or what people call a fudge factor? And, of course, how much of a profit do you want to make? Mm-hmm. So let's say the property, when you're done with it, is worth $4 million, but it's going to cost you a $1 million to fix it up, and you want to make a 25% profit, so you take off another $250,000 plus X plus Y plus Z, and you come up with the maximum amount you're willing to offer for that property. So let's say it's $3.5 million. Well, you don't start at 3 and a half. If you can get it for anything less than 3 and a half, you would buy it based on your pro forma projections. Oh. So yes, Beanie, you're absolutely correct. Okay. All right, great. Sirinosh, thank you for your call. See you next Can I ask another question or can oh, I move on? <laughs> golly. Um you're gonna be in Columbus next week, right? Yes. To see Anthony. Let, let let's let's belay that till then because we've got like four minutes left and and he didn't get to the last All two right. things <laughs> that he wanted to tell <laughs> <Okay>. people <laughs> about what thank they needed so to do. My question. Yeah, thank you. Right. Thank Have you a for great thank you for calling. Okay, so um We've got we, uh, number four was kind of understand how to make offers that get taken seriously, but and you you kind of built something into that that I suspect is going to be number five, which is there's you you mentioned there's a bunch of different ways to line up money. Should you do that yep. before you start writing seven figure offers yeah, on apartment buildings? <laughs> that that would probably be a good idea. I have people ask me that question all the time. Do I raise the money and then go find an apartment, or do I find an apartment and go raise the money? And my answer is always the same. The answer is yes. <laughs> you should always be looking for deals, and you should always be looking for money. And where do you where do you find money? How do you line that up? Well, like I said earlier, number one, you should probably go out and talk to a, lo- a local commercial lender to find out what you personally qualify for all by yourself. And if the properties that you're going after, you don't qualify for those, then you need to start going out and finding credit partners who will uh, come on the loan or sign on the loan for you to take that burden away from you so that you can start getting bigger deals. You can go to your local RIA meetings and you can start talking to people about the fact that you're going to go out and start buying apartment buildings and you're looking for people that want to partner with you. And hey, if you're interested in better returns, and making more money and because you're not making a whole lot with your self-directed IRA because it's just sitting in a mutual fund making 2%. And then next week, because inflation goes up, now it's down to minus 5%. If you're looking for better returns, keep me in mind, right? Start raising money and finding people who want to partner with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so money people, credit people, bank money, which is actually fairly cheap and available right now as well. Uh, there, there's, there's, probably a little bit of creative finance that could go into this where the seller was carrying a little bit back potentially. Yeah, that that's one potential, but don't start off the conversation with a new seller when you first introduce yourself asking if they do seller financing or seller carryback. That's the fastest way to kill a deal 
because usually what they hear on the phone is, hi, I'm a newbie and I don't have any money. Will you hand me the keys to your property and walk away? And trust me to give you money that I don't have. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so you, you certainly want to have that conversation at some point with the seller, but not on the first conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we all... And you want, and you want And you want experienced partners, too. That's the other big thing. If you have limited experience, you need to go out and find people who have been there, done that, and you're going to find people the next three nights at all the RIA meetings because I have students in all those meetings who have been there, done that, and they'll probably be more than happy to partner with you on deals. And there's going to be, I guarantee you, a lot of people who are there with money who don't want to do the work of finding and putting together the deals. That's 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 why it's it's always important. I don't care who you are anywhere in the country. I don't care if you're not in Cincinnati. It is always important to go to all the meetings where people are talking about stuff that you're interested in. Because you meet people who are interested in being in that in all kinds of ways. People are like, I don't really care about apartment buildings one way or another, but I got great credit. If I can participate, <laughs> yeah, I want to use it. And people who are like, man, I've been... I've just come to the conclusion that because I travel for work nine months a year, I'm just not going to be able to go out and find these deals, but I sure would like to have my money in them. And I have lots of it. So, I mean, that's why RIA groups exist is so that people can come network like that. We already uh, touched uh, quite a bit on the fact that there is a lot of due diligence with apartments, but I want to, in the last minute, talk about the final thing, which is, okay, so... I've researched the market, I've built my relationships, I know my numbers, I've made an offer, it's been accepted, I've got my money, it has closed. There is another big, big, big thing with apartment buildings that you do not want to wait to understand how it works or who's going to do it until you are sitting there with the keys to the apartment building, and that is... Finding the right property manager. Yep. As a matter of fact, (laughs) you want to start researching and finding a property manager at or before you actually start going out and finding properties. And the, the easiest way, the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to start talking to people who already own apartment buildings and ask them for referrals. There are a ton of people out there that will tell you, oh, yeah, I can manage this apartment. Oh, yeah, I can manage that apartment. I'll tell you right now, we've got a couple right here in the Ohio area that we fired because they sounded great and the students hired them and then they didn't do squat or they didn't do what they said they were going to do. We fired them, brought in somebody new, and now the properties are performing much, much better. So if you can find a good manager before you even start making offers from the referrals that you get from other apartment owners at the different RIA meetings, that would be that would be key and ideal because then, just like you said, Vina, you're not waiting until you've got the keys in hand to say, okay, what do I do now? Who do I hand the keys to to manage the property? They're already lined up and ready to go. Anthony, we are out of time. I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow at the Re of Greater Cincinnati meeting. And again, I'm inviting everybody just just show up, get your get your seat or your link at CincinnatiRia.com. Come learn about apartment buildings and meet other people who are also interested in networking with you about apartment buildings. That's tomorrow night here in Cincinnati. Also tonight in Dayton or next Tuesday in Columbus at CentralOhioRia.com. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Mm-hmm.